Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we reflect on England's international window so far and ask, has the manager Gareth Southgate been given an easy ride? Elsewhere, it's vintage Gareth Bale with a hat-trick for Wales. Scotland gear up for a massive game against Austria and we'll reflect on a massive opening weekend for the Women's Super League. This is The Game. Hello, welcome back to The Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wozencroft. Help me through everything today. We'll be talking international football, WSL, and crazy scenes between Brazil and Argentina. Matt Lawton and Gregor Robertson of The Times. How are you both? Very well, Hugh. Yeah, good, thanks, Hugh. How are you? I'm good, mate. Two wins from two for England and World Cup qualifying. They're cruising so far. Five wins out of five. Two 4-0 results. You can't really ask for much more over Hungary and Andorra yesterday. Um, I want to start with some of the key points from that second game. Yes, it was against Andorra Minnows, of course. It was an effective England B team, but it did see a debut for Leeds. Patrick Bamford, Trent Alexander-Arnold started in central midfield. That was quite interesting. Jesse Lingard maybe showing Manchester United why he should be playing more often as well, I think. Let's start on Lingard, Gregor. Um Look, it's again, it's Andorra, but I do think he always shows that energy that means it's quite surprising that we don't see him start more often for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Why do you think that is? To be brutally honest, the quality of the players in front of him, I think that's the that's the strange thing about him having remained at Old Trafford this transfer window. I think, you know, he had such a huge impact at West Ham. He's always been, a, you know, a hugely reliable performer for England as well. And as you say, he's, he's, a, he's a top quality player and... Um, that's what makes it puzzling that a player of his ability is likely to be on the bench for most of most of the season at Manchester United. So, um, yeah, he showed it again, as you say, it was Andorra, but he he showed that he showed what he's capable of, and he's full of energy and and uh, and creativity. And for both Manchester United and England, the quality of the players in front of him is the only thing that you can you can say is, is going to hold them back. Interesting that, that Southgate supports Jesse Lingard, though hasn't been playing for his club, included in this England squad. It might be the pattern going forward that, as we've said before, Southgate making it more like club football than international football and sticking as much as he possibly can to those trusted names. Trent Alexander-Arnold isn't really one of those trusted names, Matt, um, but he's in the England squad. We know he's got quality. Central midfield, though, was the experiment against Andorra, and it, I, I think it's fair to say it failed. It did, it did, and he, and he changed it. Um, and we, you know, we talked about this before the Euros, um, and I'm, I'm baffled by his. I think it's a blind spot with with Trent Alexander Arnold. I think he's a fantastic player, um, and in the end, injury you know cost him a, a chance to excel at the Euros. Um, it, it's, I think he's brought him back because he knows he has to persevere because he is such a talent. Um, it didn't work. He obviously wanted to to go with Reese James, um, and and he tried to he tried to accommodate both of them, and it and it backfired. Um, I think you know just been talking about Lingard. Lingard's only had four minutes from Manchester United, but I think that was a reward for hanging around, for for sticking around, and, and continuing to train and work with the squad um, in case there was a late injury, you know, I, I think that's why he was there. And I, and I think with Trent Alexander-Arnold, he just knows he's too young and too talented to give up on, but it seems he's not quite sure what to do with him. Uh, I think it's kind of obvious. 
he would be he would be my first choice at right back, um, and and I would sort it out. I, 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 I would I would I would he'd be one of the first names on my team sheet. Gregor, do you agree? Yeah, I think so. Um, largely because England are a team who, you know, the majority of the games you're playing in as well, you're the you're the the team in the ascendancy, the kind of main protagonist, and he's he's such a he's such a creative force. It's, you know, unprecedented really. I mean, he's only Kevin De Bruyne has made more assists in the last four seasons, and that's from right back. So it's a false premise, the whole the starting point that you you know there's any you may get more from him in midfield. Uh, I, I've never really bought it personally. I think full, the fullback role has changed, and he's actually kind of changed it a little bit, taken it a little bit further than anyone else as well. So, no, I mean, I, I agree with Matt. I think he would be, look, we, we've discussed this many times, your options at right back are insane. Uh, but I think he is the, the most talented, certainly in an attacking sense. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I might go for Carl Walker, personally. You know, defensively, are there still those question marks, Matt, over Alexander-Arnold? I, I, I think Alexander-Arnold was a victim, if you like, or, or suffered in the absence of of the best central defenders that Liverpool have last season. You know, I, I think their whole defence collapsed because they had so many key personnel missing. Um, and and I think you make judgment errors and I'm, you know, Greg is, Greg is the ex-player here, but I think players try and compensate for those sort of absences. Mistakes are made that, that they, they, they try and overcompensate for, you know, um, at, at times, and 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 things go wrong, and the wheels come off a bit, and I think that's what happened last season. Um, I just think he is, I just think he is mega talented, and yes, I think Carl Walker is an excellent player. He had an excellent tournament, but I always remember. Oh, I, think, I think when he signed for City for whatever they paid, I can't remember what they paid. I always remember a Gary Lineker tweet, and it was so and so million for Carl Walker. Imagine how much he'd cost if he could cross a ball. And it was one of Lineker's more sort of <laughs> unkind tweets, but it was kind of right. And I just think it's what Gregor says. I, th- I think Alexander Arnold has has taken it to another level, and you've got to recognise that. And 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 bearing in mind what did happen in that final of the Euros when there was there wasn't enough creativity, there wasn't there weren't enough opportunities. You know, there wasn't enough of a problem presented to to the Italian defence. You've got to look at him as being one of the people that will add another dimension. And I just think you've you've got to take him under your wing, and you've you've got to tell him you love him, and you've got to say you're playing every game, mate, because you're better than anyone else we've got. You know, he's won the European Cup, he's won the title. You know, in the big games, he has delivered. Mm, I still think Arm Walker might have something to say about that, but but we'll move on. Let's move on to Patrick Bamford's debut in particular. Leeds United fans, very happy that he's finally got his chance in an England shirt. But Gregor, did he make the most of his opportunity? I felt a little bit sorry for him. And the game, you know, these games often open up a little bit more as the game progresses, you know, in the later stages. And that, that's when Harry Kane came on and scored his goal. So, um, you know, it, it was, it was a, a difficult afternoon for him in the whole I think and that he wasn't really given any any clear cut chances um, but you know it's a huge moment for him absolutely a huge moment for him I spoke about it last week about the journey he's been on and um, amazing that for a player who's playing the championship for, for most of his career to you know make an impact in the Premier League of such a kind of a huge effect that's been you know that, that Bielsa's had on him um, 
and then and now make his England debut. It's a great story. So you know, I, it wasn't his it wasn't his best best game. I wouldn't I wouldn't say, but um, he's got his first cap, and I think he'll be looking looking to progress from here. I just wonder if you'll join that list of, of one cap England appearances because <laughs> you got to think about what's waiting in the wings right now, Gregor. Yeah, but I mean, you, you spoke about it before. There's up front, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Danny Ings. You're talking about why are they not? Well, obviously Dominic Calvert-Lewin was injured, but behind Kane, there's a kind of question mark about who who would be next. There's no standout clear clear call, I would say. And I think Bamford, if he's scoring goals. Um, and his link-up play, I think he's, he's definitely going to be an option. Matt, what do you think? Who should be Harry Kane's understudy? I'm not sure it's Patrick Bamford, although I'm very wary of making these kind of predictions because I remember once when whichever manager picked, um, it must have been Hodgson, picked Ricky Lambert. And I said, what? I remember tweeting, what a waste of time that is. Like, he's, you know, Ricky Lambert's never going to play at a World Cup. So that was uh, that was a good prediction. Um, um, <laughs> and, and so I, I'm, I'm, I'm loath to write off Bamford I don't think he'll be a one-cat wonder, but I I don't think it's him. I, I, I still think you are looking at players like Rashford and Greenwood and, uh, you know, I, I just think Bamford will be a victim on, on in international terms of the quality of, of England's attacking players. Um, he, he didn't have a brilliant debut, uh, but then it was a slightly stuttering performance until until later on in the second half. You know, there weren't that many opportunities. He had one or two, didn't he? And, and you know, if he'd connected with one of them in particular, if I recall, I was writing more about the fans yesterday, but, um, um, you know, he, he might have got a goal, but um, no, I, 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 I would be very surprised to see him on the plane to Qatar next, next winter. Or well, actually, not, sorry, not, not this winter, next year, but. I've not stopped sticking my neck out on these predictions. I tweeted <laughs> when Harry Kane came on for his first England appearance off the bench. I tweeted, here comes the new Francis Jeffers. My mate screenshotted it every time he scores for England. <laughs> I, I get bombarded by this screenshot. So I, yeah. I, I still haven't stopped. You know, I don't know about your predictions, but what's the worst one you've made, Gregor? Oh, you put me on the spot there. Um... No mind. Go on then, Matt. Leicester to be relegated the season they won the title. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the bookmakers actually concurred. So it wasn't the worst prediction in the world. They were 5,000 yeah. to one. I mean, yeah. again, it was, yeah. I was listening to Lineker. He, he, he was so upset when Ranieri got the job. You know, he, he, he was not shy in, in expressing his displeasure at that appointment. And I thought, yeah, Gary knows what he's talking about. This is his club. This is his heart and soul, Leicester City. And I thought, yeah, they're going down, Ranieri. Tinker man. <laughs> <laughs> I think mine might be might be about Declan Rice actually. I I wrote a piece of must have been eighteen months, nearly two years ago, about saying that Calvin Phillips should be, despite playing the championship, he should be playing for England because he fills a hole that you know there was a a bit of a weakness for. And so obviously that was a good prediction, but I. In the piece, I basically say, no, who are you going to play? Declan Rice. <laughs> Declan Rice has progressed remarkably in that time, I think. And obviously, they were played together in the end. So it was a good prediction and a really bad one at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Well, you take us on to the next point, England's midfield. Um, you know, Rice and, and Phillips weren't in the team. Obviously, we mentioned Alexander-Arnold got a midfield berth. But I think the youngster, Jude Bellingham, does deserve a mention, Gregor, because so many people were reacting to his performance, yes, against Andorra, but he seems to be maturing very quickly. That's remarkable. I mean, yeah, I watched him quite a lot when he was at, uh, playing for Birmingham in his first season in, in the Championship. And I've seen things now that I did not see then. You know, the, the little drag back um, 
in the build-up to Lingard's first goal, uh, there's a little bit, I think England's kind of social media account released a little clip as well this morning. It was kind of where he did a little drag, nutmeg. You know, he's 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 always had that energy, that drive, that kind of fierce competitiveness. But you're seeing so much more with with him on the ball and his talent and you know ability to come to the fore now. Um, as I say, I didn't see that when he was playing for Birmingham. So his he's, his development has been remarkable. But it is still his energy and his drive that is the kind of standout thing. He dominates games. He runs all over people. He's and for a, for a guy of his age, it's, inc- it's incredible. Jude Bellingham, one who I think might Matt be earmarking himself a place for Qatar. Yeah, I think it'd be very hard to stop him. And and you know he's he's got everything. Now, that's the thing about him. And in the, in that sort of part of the pitch as well with the way that football has developed and the athleticism that that is now required at the very highest level he really is blessed with every every sort of every part of the sort of firepower required you know he's six foot one he, he he's 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 only 18 so you imagine he's he's, he's gonna get stronger and 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 he can already hold his own in, in, in midfield, and and he has obviously as he sh- as he demonstrated yesterday, he has this, he has great a great skill set as well. But I just think he's going to be unstoppable as an England player. Um, and you know there was a reason why they were we've been you know people at Birmingham particularly were talking about how they had the best teenager in 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 the country, if not the world. Um, when they were saying that sort of thing, because because they, they they knew what they had, and and he is he's such a special player, and I do think I do think he will be again one of the first names on the team sheet, and and he will add another dimension uh, in midfield to the England team because yes, Phillips and Rice were excellent in the Euros. But I think he gives you he gives you more he gives you more than either of those guys can offer, and and for that reason, I think they'll be fighting to play alongside him by Qatar. I'm one of those. I, I love my football boots, and I follow loads of these, you know, on Instagram, loads of these different companies that supply rare football boots. And this week, I saw that a gold pair of remakes that Zinedine Zidane used to make were on their way to Jude Bellingham, right? And I was just like, he believes his own juice now. He's wearing, he's going to be wearing gold boots. <laughs> this is it. This is what I want. I want the swagger to go with the talent as well. So I'm hoping Jude Belling can be a force in midfield for a long time, wearing sexy boots, no less, as well. Um, I think the interesting thing about Jude Bellingham, though, Gregor, maybe you can tell me, and Birmingham City, is that they, they think his younger brother might be even better. Um, 15 years old, I think he made a, a, an appearance in the EFL Cup, might have been a little bit earlier on this season, their youngest player now, I think. And that could be a remarkable thing for England as well. But it does raise question marks for me over Bellingham's, Jude Bellingham's future at Borussia Dortmund, where he's going to get plenty of game time. I cannot see how next summer someone isn't bidding to bring him back to the Premier League. Do you think he will come back? I mean, I think there will come a point when he when he returns, but... You wait too long, it's going to be 150 million, isn't it? It's going to take a lot of money. It's going to take a lot of money. You've got to remember, he went for a lot of money too. North of 30 million, wasn't it? So... It's going to take a huge fee, but there will undoubtedly be interest because you see, look at someone with, you know, still more development, as Matt was saying, more kind of, I think he'll grow in stature. He's, got, he's such a formidable athlete and more, his whole career out in front of him and having done so much and, you know, proved he's got the temperament to to play amongst the very best at the very top level. 
absolutely there's going to be interest no doubt we're going to keep our conversation going about England next before we look ahead to their game against Poland we'll talk about Wales and Scotland and the WSL opening a little bit later on but Henry Winter joins us next on the game podcast to talk about Southgate's approach over the last few games Hello, Henry. How are you? I'm very good, Hugh. How are you doing? I'm good. Fresh from watching a couple of 4-0 back-to-back wins for England. You know, you've got to be happy with that. But I, I do have question marks, I think everyone that listens to the podcast knows, over Gareth Southgate. But I actually think, watching these two games, I've been quite pleasantly surprised that he's kept, you know, his modus operandi, if you like, in terms of his personality, because he's persevered with the likes of Jesse Lingard, people that he's got faith in, even though they haven't been playing for their clubs. Patrick Bamford, maybe would have been behind a couple of other players. I'm thinking of Greenwood and Ings in terms of playing during this window, but he was given a start and he deserves it, I imagine, after what he did last season. What do you make of Southgate's approach in these couple of matches? I think if you're looking at Bamford, I think the three who'll go to uh, to Qatar will be, well, obviously, Harry Kane, DCL, Calvin Lewin and Mason Greenwood. There's a slight mystery in why Greenwood's not in the squad at the moment. We've talked to United, we've talked to um, Southgate, and it, <laughs> all the sort of messages from them are that uh, they just want Greenwood just to sort of flourish out of the limelight, if that's possible, as a Manchester United player. So, look, Greenwood should absolutely be in there. But I agree with you. I mean, Bamford definitely, you know, if he deserved his chance. So that was that was good to, uh, good to see. I think the most encouraging thing about the last two games was that he went to a back four and look, okay, so Hungary, particularly second half, they weren't great, but, you know, they did qualify for the Euros. Andorra were always going to be sort of defensive. So you have to sort of caveat everything you say, any positives around that. But I think it was encouraging that he went to a, a back four that he played the extra attacking player, particularly against Hungary in, in Grealish with Mount and Sterling behind Kane. And I think that if the whole sort of theory of the summer, I mean, everyone's quite rightly been focusing on, you know, the, the horrendous racist abuse that the, the, the penalty takers uh, received. And everyone's been focusing on the storming of Wembley. And those are huge, huge stories. But actually in terms of on the pitch, I think... Gareth slightly got away with it in terms of the last 10 minutes of the first half against Italy and the first 10, 15 minutes of the second half. No one's really sort of gone had a real brutal inquest in that. I mean, I've been through many inquests with form, former England managers and those would be absolute, those press conferences, those briefings would, would have been all about why he didn't respond. Interestingly, talking to a lot of coaches or some coaches, managers, obviously off the record, they are saying they were really disappointed with his failure to react. His failure to sort of tap into this, tap more into this, you know, this attacking zest that England have coming through. And I think Grealish almost embodies that. So to see Grealish come on last night, to see Grealish start in in Budapest was was really encouraging. So Southgate, I understand one or two of your concerns about Southgate. I think his philosophy, the culture, everything has changed. He's turned them into a club rather than cliques. I think that's been great. But for England to take that final step, to go from a semi-final to winning it, to go from a final to winning it, it's about Southgate's decision-making in key moments and being more adventurous. And I think certainly in the last two games, certainly in Hungary, he's shown he can do that. Do you think he's been given a bit of an easy ride then, Gareth Southgate? Definitely. I mean, I've, I've said it all along. It's the most benign. You know, these are key moments. So, look, 
if you come in and you're watching England and you've been maybe watching them for sort of two or three tournaments, what Southgate's doing is is fantastic. But you know, this is not the norm. England don't get often to to semi-finals. England don't often get to finals. What two in fifty-five years? Those key moments, which is fantastic. Southgate's raised the bar hugely, but which is which is fantastic. But he's got a wonderful generation of players to tap into who play for him because they respect him, they like the culture, they're young, so they're naturally less questioning. But he's got to seize these moments. So I thought he did get um, a slightly easy ride over the, the, the Croatia extra time in in Moscow. I think he has had slightly an easy ride over the, um, over, as I say, the sort of 15, 10, 15 minutes either side of halftime when Mancini out, outwitted him with his with his changes. You can't sit on a 1-0 lead against a team as good as Italy. So anyway, so it's quite... I mean, look, their broadcast press conferences, which are fine, which are the ones that sort of public see, the, the print briefings have been slightly sort of feisty and certainly the last one before Budapest he got a little bit tetchy on about well actually I am quite an attacking manager my decision making is fine so little things like yesterday he made the decision quite rightly at half time to switch Reese James and Trent Alexander-Arnold it wasn't working the Trent experience in central midfield so he was decisive make the changes early so look he's fantastic he'll get his knighthood he'll probably get his statue outside Wembley and he, he deserves <laughs> that because of the because of the mood change that he's done with with England but the best managers the greatest managers are absolutely decisive at key moments in big games and in the semi-final against Croatia in Moscow and in the uh, and obviously in the final against the Italians even though it went to penalties he, he, he could have turned he could have turned the tide back in England's favor was Mancini turned it in Italy's favor so look he's a fantastic coach but yes absolutely he's had an easy ride I mean the the, the final thing on this the general briefing that he did, the, which he did a broadcast one because he refused to do print separately because he knew he'd probably be a bit spikier. The, I, I found that was, I just couldn't believe that it wasn't, you know, this was a key moment. England don't get in this position. You know, everything has to be analysed forensically. And if he deserves criticism for not responding to Mancini, then absolutely he deserves it. We can all stand there and say, oh, Gareth, it's been a wonderful summer and we're all running around with flowers in our hair, children of Woodstock and peace, love and understanding. <laughs> and that's all great. But honestly, I've been doing this so long. Those moments are precious moments and England missed it. Henry, has Southgate been properly grilled? Has he sat down with anyone in the media, print, broadcast, and really been grilled about what went wrong against Italy, do you think? I mean, Prince had two um, briefings with him post-Italy. Um, I mean, I'm ignoring the one the day after because that was a general one, and that was, as I say, a bit of a sort of sweet shot loving. Um, but in terms of a sort of proper... Yeah, I mean, the first one, when he had the squad announcement, I think I asked the first or the second question, and I and sort of tried to sort of drill into what happened in the last 10 minutes. Why did he let it drift? You know, Kane became isolated. Why didn't he change it earlier? Sort of little sort of tactical questions that having listened to coaches and managers say these things, I thought I'd just put them. So he, he, he sort of partially addressed that. What was more interesting actually was when we had the, again, the sort of print zoom with him before the, uh, we went out to Budapest and he actually got quite tetchy because a couple of the the, the guys um, got into him on it as as well, and as as quite like they should, you know, because it is such a huge issue and the questions need answering. Um, 
so he's he's addressed it, but he actually got very uppity. And you probably saw the quotes on the morning of the Budapest game when he was talking about, yeah, I can, you know, Liverpool play with three strikers, attackers, Chelsea play with three. He was trying to sort of defend himself on that. He said, I am, you know, I am attack minded. And then, lo and behold, I don't think there was anything to do with that. It was something he was probably planning anyway. He, he then goes and plays four attackers. I think England do need to be on the front foot um and i think these questions have to be asked and i think he did get off lightly the, the day after i mean it's all very well people standing up and saying you know in the in the zoo if you stand up in the zoo and say you know southgate you've been absolutely brilliant thanks very much for what you've done to the country and thanks very much for helping out the media and that is right there's a time and place for that and i will sort of send him a message send fa people a message and say listen thanks for all your help in the summer hope you get a break blah 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 but actually in those key moments when you've got an opportunity to have a proper debrief inquest with england managers they have to be seized because these moments these finals don't often happen Big game coming up against Poland. I think if England win it, um, I mean, they're virtually assured. They're, they're looking great. Five wins from five. But um, but win against the second place Poland, you put eight points between you and them. Maybe Albania get a little bit closer to us uh, after their match. But um, But you would be very confident that England will finish top of the group at that point if you're not already. How do you think Southgate will approach it? Will he go for it? Will he be pragmatic? I think he'll go for it. I think it will be the... Uh pretty much echoing the, the the Hungary team. I think what you also saw there, which was great, you saw the character in this England team. They spoke beforehand because they knew they were going to get Boo taking the knee. They knew the black players would probably get picked out for abuse. And Raheem Sterling was in the first half, let alone after when he scored the goal early in the second half. And they are, I mean, a band of brothers is a bit of a cliche, but they are, they're very much in it together. There's a real togetherness there. And I thought that was great. And look, Southgate's, you know, probably rightly, a little bit like a concerned father, seeing kids a little bit too close to the fire, was slightly concerned about how they celebrated fairly close to the uh, that rather obnoxious section of Hungarian fans, their ultras behind one goal. But I, in a way, I quite like that. I just showed, you know, I quite like Declan Rice standing in front of them with his arms outstretched. I quite like um, Jude Bellingham warming up and just waving to them as they were shouting abuse him because this is a... This is a generation. A lot of them have been through a lot. Backgrounds, upbringings, opportunities. You know, they've not had it easy. And I quite like it that they're, they're standing up for each other and standing up against basically a bunch of pretty despicable individuals. So, look, I, I, you know, I sent one of them a, a message after the match. They're really proud of you and the players. And to be honest, I very, very, very rarely do that because it's kind of like professional. But I actually felt really proud of the way they responded in Hungary. So some interesting views there from Henry Winter, who joined us on the game podcast a little bit earlier on. Matt Lawson, I've got to come to you about this. Do you think Henry is right over the easy ride that, that Southgate's been getting? Yeah, I think he is. And, and I think Henry, to be fair to him, has been one of the journalists who has probed uh, Southgate about what happened against Italy, who has asked those questions. I think the problem here is is that while we remain in this COVID world, um, there is this barrier between the media, particularly the written media. Well, almost yeah, almost exclusively the written media um, because the broadcast guys are still getting their face time. Um, there is this barrier between us and, and football managers and it's the same every Friday at the clubs. Um, 
I was actually talking to one of my colleagues who was saying that some of the managers really don't like it. They would rather sit face to face with with the reporters that they that they used to see in every Friday. I think Jurgen Klopp hates the whole Zoom thing, but it does make it harder to, you know, Henry and I have you know veterans of covering England and and. We've sat in some pretty heated England manager press conferences, you know, going back to Kevin Keegan and Steve McLaren walking out of one, you know, go and write your, unrepeatable the word he wrote, said, but go and write your rubbish basically and sort of stormed out. That was in Barcelona ahead of an Andorra game, actually, I think. And, 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 um, and it's, I think Gareth, look, Gareth has a lot of credit in the bank. Of course he does. There's a lot of good things he's done, but certainly before the next World Cup, there does need to be a proper roundtable with him and possibly Steve Holland sitting there as well and ask them, I think, if you're, if you're in this position again, are you sure you're not going to make the same mistakes again? Are you sure that you, you've learned from Moscow and Wembley? Are you sure that when the opportunity for greatness presents itself, that you will be decisive and ambitious enough this time? Because they did, I think, fall short in the final. You know, I I think he was hesitant. I think he was too cautious. I think we all winced a bit when we saw the team sheet. I think we were all a little bit saddened that they weren't going to be a bit braver. And then during the game, yeah, there was just... As I say, hell of a lot of credit. I think it's yeah, it's certainly not appropriate to start saying this guy isn't good enough. But if the opportunity presents itself at, at the World Cup next year, and let's face it, they're pretty certain. And I'm always I'm always conscious with Gregor on on, on the line to to be too presumptuous that England <laughs> are going to the next World Cup. But I think it's I think they're. Close <laughs> I think you're all right. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah, but 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 it, it's it's. Yeah, that they they have got to, you know. I think one of the things that Gareth has has proved he can do is evolve, and I think he has evolved. He's gone from a guy that didn't really want the job to a guy that when when analysed then went, okay, I will take the job. And you know, he took it initially as a caretaker, and we weren't sure that he wanted the job, but he then did want the job once he'd had a taste of it, and then he's actually become a you know the most successful England manager since Ramsey. So, so he's done extremely well, but. Henry's right. He also has been blessed with a fantastic crop of players. And Sven Joran Eriksson squandered the opportunity he had with some amazing talent. And he and he didn't do nearly as well as Southgate has done. But I think we have to we do have to be honest about what happened against Italy. And we do have to say we did miss a big chance there. You know, as, as successful a tournament it was, and the piece I was writing yesterday was all about all these New England fans coming and and not being not being put off by what happened with the with the crowd trouble uh, against Italy and, and and how there'd been this kind of positive response to England having a, a largely successful tournament, but it wasn't successful ultimately, and there needs to be and hopefully it won't be very much longer. There needs to be a time when Gareth does sit down with with the press and and and. There's a proper, there's a proper autopsy, you know. There's a, there's a proper sort of, you know, frank exchange where 
everything is analyzed in detail because I think it's important to do that. I, I, what, what is the purpose of us if it isn't to question the big decisions, the big, the big moments, if it isn't to analyze and, 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 and reflect? Because I think, again, Henry made the point, I think it was such, it turned into such a nutty evening and the story became so much bigger even than the football in many respects that we slightly got distracted you know, if there hadn't been all the crowd trouble, if there hadn't been people fighting over their seats, if there hadn't been gangways blocked by ticketless fans and people getting crushed in entrances and people tailgating and all the stuff that happened, all these terrible sort of drunken yobs that were that really marred the whole thing, I think there would have been much more analysis of what actually went on on the football pitch. And 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 I think because we're in this Zoom environment at the moment, he has he has slightly been given an easy ride. I think Henry's right. I, would, I mean, obviously, I come at this from a different <laughs> a different perspective. But I would question really what value there is in a post mortem like that because I'm not sure there's a definitive answer coming your way about what he planned to do in the World Cup or if he was a, you know presented with the same opportunity again. I think he's just he, he he starts from a place of caution. We know that, and I'm not sure that's going to change. And if it does, I don't think it's it's going to mean England being a buccaneering <laughs> a buccaneering attacking team. I don't believe that's going to happen. The margins were so fine. You got the it was one and lost on penalty kicks. Yeah, that's that's true. But isn't it about learning about mistakes, Craig? Is, is learning from mistakes? Isn't that what isn't that what it's about? Is it isn't about isn't development in every walk of life. Exactly. It's about evolving, but isn't part of that process, you know, having a proper conversation about it and... What would you want to hear from him? Well, it's, it's not about what we, you know, what I want to hear, what we need. I, 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 th I think it would be, I think it would be valuable. And I, and I think ultimately what, what this is about is, is be, it, it would be interesting. And I think it would be interesting for England fans to, 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 to go into more detail about his reflections on that game and 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 what he has learned from it and what he what he might do differently next time and i I, th I think there's value in that and i think there's interest in that yeah no look i i would i would very much be interested to to hear what Gareth Southgate had to say about that but i, I personally don't think you're going to we're going to be enlightened that much by it i don't think no. i don't think i don't think he i don't think he's going to say to you yes what, what basically what you want to hear Yes, we would be more, more, more attacking. Our approach would be slightly different. I don't think he's ever going to say that. It might happen, but I don't think he's going to commit to anything like that. I think he's just going to look at the players he has and the, the opposition in front of him, and that's what got you to the final. And yes, he might, he might evolve. The players might, you know, this is a young team. It's developing and growing. They're, they're going to grow on in the international stage. He might see something different in the World Cup and think, yes, we've got a bit more to be able to take, take games to any team, to any opposition. You don't necessarily have to get the kind of admission of of, of, of making a mistake. It, they they might you know if you sat there with Gareth Southgate and Steve Holland, they might actually point something out that none of us have spotted because because you know certainly the the, the press guys that are uh, uh, that, that that would be grilling him, they probably spent fifty percent of the match looking at a computer screen. You know what I mean? And and, and, and yes, Gregor, I bow to the fact that you actually did play the game professionally, but. They do actually know more about it than we do, but it would be interesting if you know if if they suddenly said, and, and for someone like Hugh, 
you know, suddenly going, oh, right, okay, yeah, well, that's a fair point. Yeah, I hadn't really picked that up when I was watching the game. You know, Hugh was at the game, but he was probably more worried about getting hit by a bottle or by somebody. You know what I mean? I, I like, I, you know, I know we've talked briefly about this, Hugh, but you I mean, were, I was you, trying to scream you, out, you, make a sub, to be honest. I was shouting, yeah, well, make a sub. <laughs> yeah, but, but you were also in the thick of an abs- of absolute carnage. You know, we've talked about this. You know, it was a fairly unpleasant experience. So, so actually, your reflections on the game, you you might be enlightened by what they've got to say, and I think that's it. It's, this is not about burning effigies and and, and creating creating okay. old style. Absolutely, but I don't. I, I I like to think that we've evolved as a as a media and as a society, and and, and we don't create you know England manager dartboards anymore. Like so, so, well, yeah, certainly not at the time. So I hope not. Anyway. <laughs> but 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 no. But you know I, I, what I'm talking about is just it would just be interesting to go. Come on, Gareth. So you know when you look back, when you've watched the videos, when you've talked to the players. Is there anything you would have done differently? Is there this? But and, and it can actually be sometimes really interesting when they when they go, yeah. But have you considered that? And have you considered what the Italians did at that moment? And and did you note that we did that and we got him to do that? And then suddenly, oh, okay, yeah, okay, right, fair enough, you know. And it just might be, it might be fascinating. And I think that's what I would like. I would like a proper analysis of what happened. I would like to hear what they've got to say about it. It's not. It's not about demanding you know it, it, it's, it's not about journalists with pitchforks this, this is this is actually about intelligent analysis and and what England learned from it and what the England management team and the coaching staff learned from it you know because the next World Cup is going to come around because of, because of the delay it's all going to come around very very quickly so they have got to learn and and, and, and evolve quickly if they're going to take this opportunity, we're all talking about Qatar being this great opportunity because it's going to be in November that, you know, England players aren't going to be burnt out. You know, I've, I've, I've walked it. I, I've set foot in those, those the, the, in the stadia out there. I've, I've, you know, it's not going to be hot. It's, it's going to be perfect conditions that they are, they're bonkers. These stadiums, uh, they are absolutely bonkers. You walk in there, it's, it's 80 billion degrees outside and you walk in and, 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 and it's 20 degrees. It, it, it's, it's the most bizarre experience. You know, you, you're looking at the sky, you're looking at the sun uh, and, and apparently from about 12 feet above you onwards, it's still 80 billion degrees. But, it, but in this, in this bubble that they create with this air, air conditioning, so there's going to be no excuses. You know, the England players are going to be fresh. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be midway through the season, and the conditions, because they're going to be artificial, are going to be absolutely perfect. Well, look, we can look ahead to Qatar when that comes around. Hopefully, England make it. It looks like they will. We're going to talk about Poland in a second. We didn't reflect on it. Obviously, we haven't had a podcast since. Obviously, the racism that the England players faced in Hungary. And then the positive scenes, the applause at Wembley when there was the taking of the knee, the reception for the likes of Bakayo Saka as well, I think was fantastic to see. But I did want to ask a quick question on what seemed to be utter, I mean, insanity that Hungary even had fans in the ground because it was a FIFA World Cup qualifier, despite having a ban from UEFA because of the, um, I guess, racist abuse that happened with inside the stadium's during the Euros, Matt. I mean, this situation should never have happened, really. No, absolutely. It's a very strange, like Martin Ziegler did a good piece on it. It's a very strange inconsistency and there clearly should have been more joined up thinking. You know, it was it was fairly predictable, sadly, that, that 
England players were going to get abused. And I'm afraid it is, you know, yes, we Gareth is right. We need to get our own house in order. Um, and actually, there were still fans booing the Andorra national anthem yesterday. I mentioned it in my piece. It, it wasn't perfect, the response. There are still idiots. I walked past a pub uh, uh, that's right outside the ground, the White Horse yesterday, that was rammed with England fans. And it was pretty, pretty damn unpleasant. You know, there's still there's still that minority that follow England and, it, and they are still fairly unpleasant. Um, but sadly, and it's not just Eastern Europe, I think in, 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 in a lot of parts of Western Europe as well, black footballers encounter this kind of abuse and, 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 and the fact that they were allowed to be there and abuse the England players was wrong. It shouldn't have happened. They, they should have been protected from that. Uh, Gregor, let's look ahead then to the game against Poland. But Matt, thank you for that. Um, because I don't want to dwell too much on it because it's it's almost becoming commonplace now. But the game against Poland is a very important one for England. They would go eight points ahead of Poland if they win the game. They might be uh, reeled in by Albania slightly, but uh, in reality, it would be a huge advantage for England, virtually guaranteeing their spot at the next World Cup. So a massive, massive game ahead for them. They did beat Poland 2-1 back in March in their previous meeting in World Cup qualifying a late Harry Maguire winner, but there was no Robert Lewandowski that night. So listen, the Bayern Munich man should be back for this game. Gregor, what sort of danger will he pose for the England defence? One of the biggest dangers there really is in, in European football, I think. Yeah, that's obviously going to be a huge test, a, a very different test to the one that England have you know faced uh, so far. You know, uh, in this in this um, international break, and you know, a real step up in in in, in class and quality. I think Poland has been a strange nation for a while. So many talented players, and just kind of not really lived up to their to expectations. Really, um, Lewandowski obviously scores all the goals but there's there, there a lot of talented players in their team so yeah it's going to be a big a, a, a big test for, for England's England's defence um, but I think you know as we've already said even even if this game doesn't end in a victory I think you guys are pretty safe for, uh, for a spot in the World Cup <laughs> and we'll react to that result the next time we meet coming up we're going to talk Scotland with Gregor a little bit sorry about that mate we'll hear from Gary Jacob next on Wales as well but if you're enjoying the podcast Rate us, leave us a review and make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times as well. Go online, check it out. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. Well, let's move to Wales next. They sit one point behind second place Czech Republic in Group E after a 3-2 comeback win over Belarus in Russia, in fact, in Kazan with a Gareth Bale hat-trick. They host Estonia next on Wednesday before bigger matches to come. The Times, Gary Jacob, of course, reports widely on Wales. He joins us on the game podcast. Hi, Gary. Good morning, Hugh. How are you doing? I'm very well, and I think Gareth Bale's probably woken up with a smile on his face. A hat-trick at international level, I think that will be a response to many of his doubters. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and he got out, he got Wales out of complete jail yesterday because was, it was a shambolic performance. Uh, they were poor throughout, um, didn't look like they were going to get anything from the game. Um, and they got a couple of penalties and obviously that, la- that last scruffy winner, which... Um, is invaluable in terms of the group and if you look at his contribution so far in the group he it was his cross that Dan James put in headed in against the Czech Republic to to earn the, the win in uh, in March and then yesterday's so effectively he's, he's he's earned them another 
or five five points really from the group. So, um, but it's all going to come down to probably Wales next month when they play Czech Republic. You know, I think if everyone's assumption is that Belgium will comfortably win the group, then it's going to be Wales against Czech Republic to to finish second. Obviously, Wales have beaten Czech Republic at home, but they and they can't really afford to to um, lose to them away. Um, there is a slight back door that, given that Wales have won the Nations League, they may get in through that route if, if, if all doesn't go to plan. But I think, you know, they, they really need to try and finish runners up and then put themselves in a, in a good opportunity. I mean, it's difficult to know what to say about Bale that's not been said already, but he does look happier um, being back at Real Madrid. He made the point that he's got a really good relationship with Carlo Angelotti. The style of play suited him better. Uh, he's just happier in himself. Maybe the, the, the move to Spurs didn't work out. And he's, you know, he's put to bed those, the, 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 the I don't want him to like to say rumours about retirement because it just, I don't think anyone who knows him ever thought he would, he would retire because he, he wanted to kind of shot, he wants a shot at the World Cup. Um, Wales haven't been there since 1958 and it would be like the crowning glory for his career if he could take Wales there. And probably for him, that would all mean as much or if not bigger than all his Champions League um, winners' medals, which he's got, because that's how much the country means to him. Well, he, had a, he had a massive role in, in taking them to Euro 2016. Um, and the goal last night was sort of re re reminiscent, really, of him scoring a late goal uh, in Andorra in 2014, which when, when Wales looked like they were going to draw against what would have been the, the weakest team in that group, um, and he got a late winner, and, and they and they qualified at the end of that campaign, and, and it was kind of quite a similar similar last night, really. Um, uh, yeah, they, they were missing thirteen players. They've got issues. They had issues with injuries and COVID and, and visas. So I think to kind of get out of there with a with a win is what you know was 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 good but it was a poor performance and i think um that's a mitigating circumstance though for yeah. their performance or do you think they, they've got bigger issues in terms of how rob page is is setting the side up i, I think uh if, if you look what under coleman and even under page they're they're very much geared towards being compact and breaking down teams on on, on the counter tap but when they have the kind of break down teams themselves they haven't got the creativity in the team to kind of do that um, had they not won last night, it would have been one one win in eight, uh, and that would have been the Turkey game where they did play well. But Turkey's defence and 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 the way they set up really helped Wales that night. So I think Wales have tried at times to kind of move to to a slightly different system, but they don't really have the players to do it. So. Um, what, what page did yesterday? He had four at the back. He usually played three at the back, and when he went to four yesterday um, to try to kind of get a bit more on the front foot. But they just made elementary sloppy mistakes, and I think that the pitch was a, a mitigating factor. It was dry, and obviously that was an issue. But equally, they're professional players, and, and they should know how to deal with it and and not the mis not make the silly mistakes they did. Um, but they've got to kind of learn to to beat comfortably beat the smaller teams and and Estonia are coming to, to Cardiff on Wednesday now they should beat Estonia but they've still got to go and break them down and they've got no Kiefer Moore um, who's had a COVID issue um, and so they, they you kind of look at their team and who's got there's no Ramsey who's going to kind of get the goals obviously you know, there's Bale but then who else after Bale is going to kind of get their goals um, that um, uh 
played a couple of kids yesterday, um, competitive debuts, uh, and, they, and, they, and they did okay. But um, I think um, you can see where Wells' weaknesses are. And at the back, really, um, James Lawrence struggled yesterday, really, and has a possibility that, uh, well, probability that Abadou will join the, um, the, uh, the squad. But after half, they couldn't get a visa for Kazan, and that will make a difference, a bit more experience. But they're still not going to find someone to kind of score the goals. Our thanks to Gary Jacob. Uh, more to come from Wales, I'm sure. Gregor, let's quickly talk about Scotland. We didn't talk about them last time. A 2-0 defeat against Denmark, but they did bounce back, beating Moldova by a goal to nil in Group F. Much needed win. Um, Steve Clark's side now two points behind second place Israel after five games, but a huge game to come against fourth place Austria tomorrow in Vienna. What are your feelings going into that? Yeah, it's a big one because, you know, I think if we win, Austria are out of it, really. Um, and it, it's going to be a, a tough game, absolutely. We, we've just still not got the cutting edge. It's the same kind of conversation we had during the Euros. We created lots of chances. There's some nice play. Billy Gilmore excelled again. Another man of the match performance. Um, young Nathan Patterson, right back at Rangers, who Everton have been have been uh, interested in, had a really good a really good game. Um, basically, basically created the the goal um, with his kind of energy and his pressing. Um, I think he's injured, unfortunately, for um, for the game against Austria. So that's a blow. Um, but there's some, like I say, there's some positives there, and it's just that final touch. We don't have the cutting edge. It was it was kind of amusing afterwards to see um, Chris Boyd and and James McFadden kind of trying to analyse why in the studio trying to analyse what if there was kind of some kind of hidden reason that Scotland can produce someone who can stick the ball in the back of the net. And uh, unfortunately, there's not. I just don't think we have we have players who have that cutting edge. Even Billy. Billy Gilmore had a good chance and he just kind of he said he got a bit kind of excited I just there's just something that's not we've just not got that player who's got the kind of ice in their veins at the at the key moment so um, I'm not really sure when that's how that's going to change so that's Scotland's biggest difficulty some positives as I say there's some good young players coming through but um, goals are a big issue for us unfortunately key game we'll talk about that next time we meet as well let's quickly react though to one of the most insane things i've probably ever seen in international football matt so let's get it right there were four players from the premier league who went with argentina on international duty and apparently they didn't declare that they'd been in england which is on brazil's red list before they arrived somehow officials didn't try and stop them from playing in the game until about 15 minutes into it. Three of them started the match against Brazil. And then the officials came on, tried to take them off and deport them. And the game was called off rather incredibly, leaving Brazil to do an open training session for the cameras and the fans inside the stadium. It was completely extraordinary. And once again, probably unnecessary. Yeah, because... Unnecessary in the sense that um, it, this should have been flagged before the game started, and, and then the, the the team should have responded accordingly. You know, if they haven't followed the regulations, then they haven't followed the reg- regulations. Yeah, you know, there's over half a million Brazilians have died because of COVID. So I think they're quite within their rights to uh, insist that insist that the proper processes have been followed. It's just a bit ridiculous and dramatic that they have to wait until the match has actually started. 
reports are, Matt, that it was all about, you know, one body and another body not being joined up on this. So the Football Association um, and the governing body for the region, Conmebol, saying it's okay for the players to take part in the game, but then the local authority saying, no, we disagree with this, they can't play. And they're saying the dressing room was locked as well before the game, so they couldn't... I mean, I'm not sure about that. It does seem like a bit of a, an exhibition. Yeah, the, 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 the whole thing is bonkers, but as I say, it, it's COVID. What, and what struck me, it was it, this story was breaking last night when Gareth Southgate was was being asked about a World Cup every two years. Like, is it, is it, It's like football doesn't think that the world has changed. You know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's like... I'll, you know, at a time when we're trying to limit the movement of people, FIFA are talking about having a World Cup every two years. You know, and 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 it's like, oh, let's just massively increase our carbon footprint. Let's do this every two years, and let's have a Euros every 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 other year as well. You know, crikey! Can't remember a game being stopped like that when you've got Neymar and Messi and world class elite players on the pitch to just you know, after 15 minutes, sorry, you haven't filled in the right paperwork, off the pitch you come. So yeah, incredible. Um, Gregor Robertson, Matt Lawton, thank you for being with me. The, the, the podcast is not over yet. We'll be talking WSL next, but gentlemen, appreciate it. Pleasure as always. Now, the WSL season got underway this weekend with a bang as well. Plenty of huge games. And loads of eyes focused on the women's game. This is their moment as far as I'm concerned. So much riding on a great season for the broadcasters in particular. Let's speak to Molly Hudson of the Times, who, of course, we know keeps a keen eye on the women's um, game in this country. Hi, Molly. How are you? Morning, Hugh. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Fresh from a uh, pretty busy weekend. Exactly. Now, before we reflect on the actual matches... Do you agree with me that it's a huge season for the WSL with the broadcasting, the, the branding? So much of the game is in the spotlight. Do you think it will grab its moment? Definitely. I think sort of even just this weekend, it's been really noticeable just how much coverage there's been um, from broadcasters. Um, I think particularly there was kind of in different ways, I suppose, with, with Sky having the, the broadcast rights on the Friday night game, it was super exciting to kind of be in the in the press box at Lee, having a little look on my phone and seeing, you know, a live studio with a panel analysis and touchscreen tactics boards. It's like, wow, you know, did we ever think this would happen for the women's game? And to be honest, domestically, probably not, or at least not right now. Um, so I think that was really exciting. And then obviously you have the BBC with the huge free-to-air audience, which we know is is just such a big platform that will hopefully kind of only grow the audience in the in the coming months. I think it's, you know, I'm sure we'll go into it later about attendances, but I think we have to kind of look at it as a as a longer term thing and look at you know what what the broadcast deal did for for the Premier League all those years ago. And I think that's what we have to kind of focus on. It's not going to be an overnight kind of thing. You can go into it now if you want on attendances. Do you think, you know, that fans, you know, will follow with the footsteps into Stadia given all this attention? I think if I'm really honest, I, I found this weekend's attendances um, a little bit disappointing. I think, um, obviously, I, so I was at uh, Manchester United Reading at Lee on the Friday night. And there's not a huge amount to say that Manchester United women play there. There's not, I think the club could do a lot more in that regard. I think 
particularly when you're playing at somewhere like Lee, which obviously isn't in central Manchester. Um, it's quite the trek, really, um, to get to. I think you you just need to kind of make it so, so obvious almost that the women are playing there. Um, the Man United men's Twitter account, for example, it's, you know, millions and millions of followers didn't mention that the women's season was starting. I think at kickoff, they'd, uh, they'd tweeted about a podcast, um, which, which just felt like a really big missed opportunity, even if it was just to get, you know, fans watching on, on TV or whatever. Um, then the Saturday, obviously, was the, the kind of first match at uh, a men's stadium at Goodison Park, um, just under 6,000 for that. And I think it was one of those where maybe Everton women didn't actually benefit from playing in a big stadium because they were playing against Manchester City. We know how much they love the ball, love to get the ball on the floor, a lot of possession. I mean, the the kind of big, expansive, pristine Goodison Park pitch, I don't think helps. Um, and obviously, they got heavily beaten, which is also not not great when you're kind of welcoming fans, maybe to see them live for the first time. Uh, lost that one 4-0. And I think um, Willie Kirk kind of mentioned afterwards something that I thought was quite interesting, saying, well, do we actually know in the long term, if fans will prefer to kind of watch games from home now, because in a way the, the women's game was kind of, there were times you literally had to go because if you didn't go, you couldn't watch it. And I think now, now that's not the case. You know, if it's not on Sky, if it's not on BBC One, it's on the FA player. So you can definitely watch games from home. Um, and yeah, it was, a really, it was a really lovely weekend. The weather was lovely. It was a men's international window. Like everything was set up for, for high attendances. Um, and then obviously the the Emirates swirls on Sunday. Again, disappointing to get you know eight thousand fans um, when you compare to attendances pre pandemic um, in twenty nineteen. There were games at Stamford Bridge, the Etihad, and the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and I think the lowest attendance of those was twenty four thousand. Um, but tickets were heavily discounted, so I think it's just about kind of maybe focusing more on one big game in a men's stadium rather than lots of little ones in a way. Uh, there, was, there was so much going on this weekend that I know it was you know set up for this big landmark opening weekend, but I think it's not quite the same as, as men's football where you have that dedicated fan base. I think you know if there were games in London, you might have maybe gone to the Arsenal game at the Emirates just because you, you wanted to see a really good game of women's football. You wasn't necessarily, you know, a diehard fan of either Arsenal or Chelsea. But I think that the fact that there were kind of so many games all over the place probably meant that that wasn't as much of a factor as it might have been. And hopefully the whole league can build on what was, I still think, a very good opening weekend, especially in terms of the coverage from radio to TV here on the Game Podcast as well. So Molly Hudson, thank you for joining us. We'll have more throughout the season, of course. And thank you all for listening as well. We will be back on Thursday. But remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you're subscribed and also make sure you're subscribed to The Times and The Sunday Times. You can get yourself one month free right now. So just go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We'll see you on Thursday. 